the Christmas mood. Let's sing together. Come on. everyone good morning let's worship the lord here please stand
right, welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. Yeah, this year is about done. You made it almost. All right, we're celebrating the Lord.
Just praise you that you are our shepherd, that you guide us in the in the valley that is dark, in the to the mountaintop, to the green pastures. God, we just praise you. We're excited about this uh, this time of year. We're excited about the season of Advent, which celebrates the coming of Jesus. Yes, as a as a child, but God, we just pray that today um, you can come back right now. We just appreciate that and love it, and you can take us home. We can have the best Christmas ever. And so, Lord, just be with us today. Teach us what you would have us to know. Get me out of the way. Get us all out of the way. And let us just focus on you. In Jesus' name, everybody says amen. Tell somebody, happy Advent. And our kids can head out to our, shore, our what is it, Haven Kids. That's what it's called. Being as it's the first Sunday in Advent, we right now have our first Sunday in Advent video here. I'm stepping through the shadows of uncertainty, bending under life's crushing blow, searching for hope against the formless void of a world emptied of light. We travel and yearn. We walk and pray. We search the sky for signs, scan the horizon for redemption. Study the shadows for the light that casts them, but only silence and darkness. Then the Spirit of God moves against the dark waters of his people's despair, bends his knee toward the world that abandoned him long ago. He sees the formless and empty state of his creation. He hovers over the hopeless and helpless. Now is the time it's finally time to strike the serpent. God speaks light again, like he spoke it before. The word of God becomes flesh. Underneath a bright star of hope, underneath the radiant breath of God, underneath 400 years of silence, the bright morning star dawns. 
the people who walk in darkness see the great light. The light shines on those who live in the land of deep darkness. The mighty king we were promised has arrived in a throne made of sticks, in a manger of humility. He has come. Scared you, didn't I? Phew, I forgot something. I had to run get it. It's all good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Man, if I keep going, why keep going? It's all good. I can get my breath back. Um, I just got some praises. This church is full of love. Just full of it. And I and I like that. And I like to see people coming back and saying they feel like they're part of a family, because that's our goal. We want you to be part of our family. Praises for Lisa and her battlefield acupuncture is working. And prayers for her knee procedure tomorrow. I don't know what it is about knees in this church. I gotta figure it out. It, that's, that's what it is. It, it's not our backs, it's our knees. Keep on those knees, people. Okay, but I have to share a little story, and I promise it'll be short because I'm checking the timer, I'm being good. <laughs> Went out to lunch Friday at Baker's with friends that are here from out of town for Thanksgiving. And I had on this beautiful shirt, thank you, Miss Jenny, my Christmas sweater. And I'm sitting <laughs> at a table, and these two ladies are sitting beside me, and this one woman goes, I got to talk to you. Okay, when you're in a restaurant and a complete stranger says, I want to talk to you, you get a little nervous. And it's Baker's, so I didn't, wasn't too worried. She goes, I love you and Jack. Well, right away, I was like, well, I'm not Melissa. <laughs> and, and he's not Ron. I thought that was really good, because I was like, Oh, and instantly I said, do you watch us online? And she said, yes. So Miss Kim Eldreth, I am shouting out to you like I promised I would, and I'm so excited that you're watching online. Kim. Oh, my name is Joanna. Thank you. She had no idea what my name was. I've never said it. 
Imagine that. There is no way I've been up here all this time and didn't say my name. My name's Joanna. And the easiest way to remember it is Joanna Banana. Okay, I take care of clients and believe me, that works. Okay, I gotta stop. I got a lot of, a lot of people to pray for. Ruth is not here today because she's sick. Brittany and her family unfortunately has COVID. Bernie, we're gonna fix that foot. Gonna put a magic hand on it. Um, June's husband is home out of the hospital. However, he's waiting on test and has a very long road. So we're gonna keep June, Chris, and Paul in our prayers, okay? Um, Dot is not here today. She is not feeling well. We're praying for her healing. I don't see her son. Where'd he go? He's back. There you are, hide, hide somebody. Um, and David Culver has asked for his mother-in-law, Teresa, is in the hospital with pneumonia. Um, and all caregivers during this time of year, because this is the time of the year, it's all going around. We're gonna get it. It's just gonna go around. Um, so be with those who are suffering, be kind, Remember to do something nice for them. And I say this often up here, and it's something that Kim actually complimented me on. She goes, I love that you always say pay it forward and give it to someone else. Because it is rewarding. The more we give, the more God gives us back. So just keep on giving, okay? It's amazing. And this is the season to give, give, give. And I have 30 seconds, so this is a short prayer, gang. Hands on your knees if that's what you do. Dear God in heaven, thank you for this church. Thank you for this family. Thank you for all the good things that you give us. We are so blessed. And some days we just wake up and we forget how blessed we are. We have shelters. We have food. We have clothing. And some of our church mates in Haiti do not. So during this season, I want to lift them up and pray for them that they be safe and comforted by you and know that our hearts are reaching out to them. I also know this time of year is very hard for anyone who's working in recovery. Depression, rehabilitation, depression. This is the time it gets sad and it gets hard. Remember those people, reach out to them. Your one batch of brownies may save someone's life. Your hug and your caring spirit may just bring someone to Jesus because Jesus loves each and every one of us and that's what he's asked us to continue to do. Walk in his shoes, be his hands and his feet and spread the word. Be with Pastor Jack as he preaches with us today and we go through the Advent. What a wonderful time of year. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Five seconds over. In the vast tapestry of life, some moments define us. Moments that echo through the corridors of time, yet, many of the things we fill our days with seem to fade away, lost in the sands of forgetfulness. It's a common narrative. The constant pursuit of success, accumulating possessions, and racing through life. It's easy to get caught up in the relentless ticking of the clock where we measure our days by tasks accomplished and goals achieved. But what if life is not meant to be measured by the passing of time, 
but by the sacred moments that shape our journey. God never intended for our life significance to be found in what we accumulate, but in the moments that make our hearts beat a little faster, that bring tears of joy or sorrow, that leave an indelible mark on our souls. Moments when you are at a crossroads with a decision heavier than expected. Then like divine whispers through a moment of obedience to God's calling, your future is forever changed. Like moments in the lives of Joseph, a carpenter, Mary, a young woman, shepherds, humble and overlooked. That pulled all of them from the confines of ordinary life to discover the extraordinary. Moments that may have seemed weighty at first glance, but carried the weight of divine purpose. These timeless stories hold within them for us, the keys to unlocking the significance of sacred moments. All right, everyone, you know where we're going for the next couple weeks. I'm actually doing a, a Christmas kind of series this, uh, this year. Uh, sometimes I've stayed away from that just because the Lord led me somewhere. But I'm, I'm excited about doing some of this. Um, our, our bulletin's up there. If you want to follow along, you can, if you didn't get a hard copy, you can also use that one right there. Um, do want to touch on some things. I saw that our um, women's group meets on, um, what time do they meet? Thursday? And then the men are meeting at the same time Thursday. Is that right? And there's, uh, I noticed the women's group's name's Rooted, and the men's are what? Branching out. And that's because they got to keep us tethered, right? <laughs> that's, why, that's why it happens. So, but anyway, that's great. Love to have people go ahead and what? Oh, okay. Um, rapping? Well, we're going to rap like, uh, like yo, yo, yo rap, like that kind of, okay. <laughs> so, sorry. Now, rap, rap and presents and stuff, is that right? Okay, great. So, so great. Um, rapping, she forgot, Joanna forgot to mention that, but she was hyped up. She was ready to go, right, today, so that's good. Hi, Bobby. Oh, I, I might come with you. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, she said the women are going to go to Olive Garden this week. So if you, ladies, if you want to go to Olive Garden, go for it. All right? So a lot of different things, but we'd love to have you. Even if you're visiting, come ahead and, and plug in there. We'd love to have you. Like Joanna said, um, we're a family, and that's a goal. Um, I've, been, uh, I've been around churches my whole life, um, and I know um, some that just aren't. And um, if we love the Lord and we've given our life to Jesus, we're going to spend eternity together, so we better get along now. Because um, so, there ain't going to be any problems in heaven, so we might as well start it now. But anyway, so um, good to have everybody here today. We're starting a new series, as I said, called Sacred Moments. And, um, and really what we're talking about, just uh, moments in life. And so I'm going to start right away today, and I'm going um, to say that it's been said, and this is your first blank in your sheet, life is not measured by time, life is measured by moments. Has anybody ever heard that uh, statement? Or, or maybe uh, you recognize that it's true in many, many ways when you think about it. Like, for instance, you rarely remember a whole year, every event of the whole year. Um, you rarely remember a whole month. Some of you forgot what you did this morning. Uh, already. And, so, and you know, a whole day, you're like, what did I, what did I do? What did I do at 10? I, you ever had those moments like, you ever have the real bad moments like, how did I get here? You know, <laughs> which way, you forget like which way you, you went. But um, an example is like uh, things I don't remember 
this week, but I, I may remember special moments from week, like time things. But I won't remember what I ate for lunch on Tuesday. I just won't. I don't know. Is any, unless you eat the same thing every day, um, you might not. But I will remember a person who came up to me who I'd been praying for for a while and others had, and they had been doing a, having a battle with cancer, and they said they just got noticed that they were cancer-free. I do remember that. Um, I won't remember what time I, I went to bed last Sunday evening, but I do know that I went to bed with the 10 and 1 Eagles. I do know that. So, um, and I went to bed with heart palpitations as well. So anyway, but um, you, you know what I mean? I don't remember those certain things um, I don't remember how much, I, how much gas I put in my car um, when I last filled it up. I don't even remember last time I filled it up. I know it was a lot, um, but, uh, you know, I, I do know that where my car is in the parking lot, and I know that people I run into, when I see them, like, hey, how you doing? Not with my car, okay? Go with it. But um, Some people I'd like to, but that, I've repented of that. But anyway, life is not always measured by time. We're driven by time, but life is not always measured by time. It's measured by moments. And so today we're starting this new message series called Sacred Moments. Um, and it's nothing big. I just wanted to use, it felt like using sacred instead of holy. And um, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at four specific holy or sacred moments in the story of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, um, and to open up the message today, we're going to look at a very powerful moment um, of, of obedience with one key thought. Now, I'm going to warn you, here's, here's the disclaimer to this. The disclaimer is that when you hear this, it might be the moment that God starts to work on you for something. So now that I've given that disclaimer, you can't blame me. You can blame it on God. But anyway, here is the key thought, uh, the one key thought, and it's simply this. You have no idea what God can do through one act of obedience. You have no idea at all what God can do from one act of obedience. And what I mean by that is at some times uh, in your life, some of you may have been prompted by God to do something. You may have been prompted by God to say something. You may have been prompted by God to give something. Now, how many of you have ever been in those circumstances where God has prompted you to do something? said, hey, I want you to do this. And you know it's God. You just don't, you, you, you know, some of you may hear a voice. Some of you have, may have like that gut feeling. Some of you may just read the word and like, oh my gosh, that's it. Some of you may pray and, and other people may go ahead and affirm that. How many of you have ever been somewhere and God says, I want you to say something to that person? And you're like, uh-uh, <laughs> you said. Um, but, but no, um, and, so, and I know from this church is so giving that God has prompted you to give something time and time again. And I, and you look like, wow, I, I can't believe. You look back and you're like, wow, I can't believe that God set into motion all the things that came from that, from just me saying yes and obeying what he said. Now, other times, and if I'm honest, there's probably more of those times in my life when I may have felt prompted to go ahead and do something and to say something or to give something, but I don't know all the details. And so when I don't know all the details, or I may not know any of the details, and that act of obedience seems to be extremely difficult and very hard. And I start to go, well, well God, what, can you give me a little bit more? I played Gideon who, who put out a fleece and, and said, hey, make the fleece dry and the ground wet. And then he do, God does not He said, well, can you do the reverse for me? Because I'm still not quite sure. Uh, and we put God to those little tests to kind of see things. And that, and that act of obedience becomes extremely difficult because I don't know and I can't see and I can't tell. And... Then sometime in the future when I don't 
when I'm not obedient and when I don't do what God tells me, I go ahead and then I look in the future, I look back and I say, wow, I wonder what did I miss out on? Who, what part of God's plan wasn't accomplished at, at least at that point because I wasn't obedient to God? Who wasn't reached for the kingdom of God because I just didn't give that act of obedience because I had questions? And so that's why today's title of the message is Obedience is Hard. Look at somebody next to you and say, Obedience is Hard. All right. So let's start with a prayer. Father, we ask that our hearts would be open to you, that your word, the living word of God and your spirit would do a work in us. And you would give us faith to, to obey, knowing that you're always good. You're always good and you always have for us the best in, in, in your mind and in your heart for each of us. And the plans for us are just for, for goodness. So God, help us to trust you and recognize that your word is always true as we seek this time of being obedient to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's dive in today. We're going to dive into the Christmas story. And we're going to dive into Matthew's gospel today. And we're going to go to Matthew. Um, and here's what it says right here in Matthew chapter 1. Verse 18, it says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to who? Everybody say Joseph. Joseph. All right, good. Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have Mary's engaged to who? Joseph. Say Mary loves Joseph. Mary. Joseph loves Mary. But we have a situation, correct? Now, the chances are pretty good that many of you are really familiar with Mary, correct? We, if we got any Catholics or former Catholics or whatever, you know Mary is really put up there. Now, Protestants, we don't put her up, we don't give her enough credit. You know what I mean? I don't think we, we get, give enough credit. Um, but maybe after the series, you will. But we know Mary, don't we? We, we know Mary. And uh, she gets a lot, of, around this time of year, she gets a lot of stage time. She gets a lot of the sermons. Doesn't she? People know Mary. And, um, and so, but today, Mary's not getting much time. We're going to talk about Joseph. Okay? And there's some, there's some, he's very important, but there's so little talked about him. And he's also, there's, there's not many sermons about Joseph, and there's reasons for that. The reason is because he didn't appear to be around very long. We don't know a lot about him. So that's why there's not a lot of sermons about him. But I'm going to tell you from Scripture what we know about Joseph. There's some apocryphal writings that are deemed not to be true. Um, but I'm going to share with you what we do know about Joseph. What do we do know about Joseph? He was a what? A carpenter. Many scholars can also think that he could have been a mason because trees are not really plentiful in that area of Israel. So, but don't get caught in that. He built stuff, right? So, um, so he was a carpenter. And how do we know this? From Matthew chapter 13, when, they, when Jesus was there speaking in Nazareth, and they said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother named Mary and aren't his brother James, brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas with him? So somebody got daddy's name, didn't they? Did you guess that? All right. Um, so what else do we know? We know he's a carpenter. He was also a righteous and faithful man. 
He was righteous and faithful. That means he was a really, really good man. How do we know that? Let's go ahead and let's look at the scripture in Matthew chapter 119. And it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And we're going to talk more about that today. He was also a descendant of David, meaning that he actually had a right to the Israel throne. However, they were in captivity after a long time, but his lineage went to David. How do we know this? In Matthew, a couple places. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, we're just working down the, the whole chapter. But after he, uh, where is it here? Right here. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. That was not his daddy's name. That was the lineage he was from. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He, it also states here in Luke chapter 2, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he what? Belonged to the house and the line of David. So we know that he was in the line of David, a kingly line. He was also Mary's what? Husband. He was Mary's husband. Mary's husband. And in Matthew 1, 16, it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, this is the, for the lineage, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. He was also er, Jesus' earthly father. In Luke chapter 3, it says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began the ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of who? Of Joseph, of Joseph. And in John 1, 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote about. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. There you go. So they, on, on earthly realm, he was associated with his earthly father, um, Joseph. Outside of that, we really don't know much else about Joseph. Now, we do know, though, that one moment of obedience helped impact us all to this day. And in this, uh, in the, what else do we know? In the early years of Jesus, we learn a little bit more about Joseph. We learn that he's mentioned when Jesus is 12 and they forgot him at the temple. And they're saying, where were you? I mean, they left their kid. Yeah, they're blaming him. But anyway, um, they, they do that. But one of the reasons is because they had a large caravans when they would travel for safety. And so they, you can imagine that feeling. It was like, it, you see, that was the first Home Alone movie right there. Jesus is like, ah, I'm in the temple, you know. So, um, but, but they went back in the, and they got him and he said, I had to be about my father's business. And that's really all we seem to hear about Joseph. He disappears from the story. Now, most people believe that he most likely died because he and Mary, the way the culture went in that day, he would have probably been much older than her. And they probably would not have divorced. And why do you say that? Because it would probably have been written about. And, the other, and they wouldn't have said a lot about Joseph in the Gospels. But also because if he was going to divorce her, he would have done it after this section of Scripture we're going to talk about today. All right? And um, so, we, so we have this. And the other reason is that Jesus did not leave home until he was 30. Now, that's normal today in their standards. And keep in mind, they did not have video games and they didn't have basements there. So they didn't just live and play video games in the basement with no jobs. That, did, that wasn't what Jesus was doing. But actually, by the laws of the day, if 
if, you're, if the father died, the oldest son would stay at least until, until 30 years of age. That's something that we know. That was part of the practice until the other sons would take over and go on um, from there. So, and, and we learn later that when Jesus is preaching, somebody says, hey, your mother and brothers are here. And he says, everybody's my mother and brothers. Because he had now gone to serve his heavenly father in the ministry, ministry where he was being honorable to his earthly father and mother as his earthly father probably passed away. And, um, and so we, we have that, that area. Also at the cross, he looked at John, uh, the, the writer um, of the Gospel of John, and he looked at him and he said, as he's on the cross, he said, hey, behold your mother and behold your son. In other words, he's like, take care of mom. You're in, you have mom. And we learn from church tradition that she went and lived with John and stayed with him until her passing. So in the context of this story, we recognize that we just read that Joseph was engaged to Mary. Now, people nowadays, when you think you're engaged, we figure, oh, you're, you know, maybe really young. You might be 18 or we say 20s to, to you know, 30s, somewhere in there. But Mary was probably 13 to 15 years of age. And that is really stupid young, right? That's really crazy. Um, culture was a little bit different then. And, um, and so we need to recognize that. But Mary was a virgin who was promised, pledged, to be married to Joseph. And she comes up to Joseph and says, guess what? And he says, what? Wedding plans? No, I'm pregnant. He says, excuse me, right? Now, you can imagine this. And when Joseph hears this, he knows he's not the father. And he didn't have to go on Maury Povis to prove it, right? Um, But he knows he's not the father, but he would have been completely devastated at this moment from hearing this. Now, I got to understand what first century engagement culture is about. When you got engaged, it was not just something to get a picture in the local uh, Bethlehem times. It was not something else to put on your Instagram or Snapchat, hashtag Joseph is my man. Um, Nothing like that. It was the proposal and the engagement was actually a legal binding contract. And they were technically married without consummation until the day of the wedding. As a matter of fact, during the wedding, what they would do, and I said a little bit about this last week in the communion meal, that often what they would do that we know in this area, that they would go ahead and they'd, the, the groom would come with a, a, uh, a chalice and he would say, hey, here is this cup of a new covenant. And she would, if she accepted it, she would take it. Then what would happen is, they would have her ready, and she had to be ready all the time. Because the only person, this is really cool when you think back to our series on, um, on I'll Be Back. The only person who decided when the day was to go get the bride was the father of the groom. So when Jesus says, my father's the only one who knows the days or the hour, that's fitting within the marriage ceremony. We know that he uses the marriage ceremony of the land. Isn't that cool? Isn't that really cool? So what happened is they would go ahead and she would be ready and she'd be waiting. And in the middle of the night, they would come and say, it's time. And they had this like kind of thing that they would carry her on. And it was called a flight. And they would take her to the father's house. And all that time during the engagement, the, uh, the groom would be building on a place 
for her in her father's house. Isn't that really cool? And that's free today, all right? But, um, but what, what I'm saying is, so, so that's, it was a big thing that if I'm building on my house and I'm, I'm getting everything ready and my father's the only one who knows when that is, and, and this is a big thing that involves family and communities, and we know that from Jesus' first miracle that when a wedding went on, it was a big kick and party. They ran out of wine the first day. Mary says, goes to Jesus, who's been a carpenter, not a, not a uh, guy who deals with wine, goes to him and says, do something. And he says, it's not my time. And just like a good mom, she says, do something. And he says, get me some large waters of water, jars of water. And he's like, poof. And they're like, this is the best wine ever. You want to have Jesus at your party, don't you, right? And that's what he did. And it was like, wow, because... Because this is what was going on, because weddings went on, and it was disgraceful if you ran out of anything. So this was a major, major thing. Fathers uh, had dowry that they saved up that they would pay, and it was a major, major contract. So for Mary to be pregnant, this is not a good thing for anybody involved. And so he knows that Mary was not pregnant by him. And for her to get pregnant by someone else... It would ruin everything, societally and everything. Mary, the one he loved. Imagine Joseph. Mary, the one that he loved with his whole heart. The one that he, he was going to raise his kids and have his kids. The one that he was building on and, and planning a life for her, her and him. She had totally dishonored her family, her God, and Joseph. Had disgraced him. And Joseph would have been laughed at, mocked, shunned in his community. And actually by Deuteronomy 22, it wasn't done often around this time, but it was such a horrible thing back then that Joseph could actually legally have her stoned to death. And several years ago, you, you might remember, there was a big article about in one of the Middle Eastern countries that was done to a woman. And, um, and we're like, wow. And even at this time, the Jewish people didn't do it in this first century very often. More in common, he would have to deal with the embarrassment that it caused him. And, and not to bring shame, Joseph's like, what should I do? But he, what he could have done, though, he could have taken her in front of a city council where you would have the elders there, and he, they would declare her guilty. And he would be issued a public um, divorce decree and clear his name. And so, but for the woman, for Mary, she would have gone around with a scarlet letter forever. And women who the situation happened to, no one married them, very rarely, if any. No one redeemed them or, or took care of them. Their only source of income was exactly how they got pregnant in the first place, and they would get into prostitution. Joseph was in a horrible place. All his dreams are crushed at this moment because the woman who he loved and planned this life with, had betrayed him. So now, even in addition to that, his next actions and next motives, it's going to bring major incomes, not only to him, but to her and to their families forevermore. So what do we know about Joseph? Well, he was a righteous man. Remember that? And the Scripture tells us he didn't want to disgrace her. Now, I don't know about you, but many of us would be saying, how can I disgrace her? But that tells you a little bit about Joseph. He didn't want to shame her. So he thought about breaking the engagement and legally divorcing her quietly. What he didn't realize, though, is something we don't realize. In our lowest moment, in his lowest moment, it was about to become his biggest, most sacred moment 
ever in the history of his life and maybe along with Mary, the history of the world. In Matthew 1.20, we learn that, Jesus, that Joseph is considering this. He's considering what? He's considering divorcing her. He's considering just moving on in life and breaking the engagement. But he's also saying, I don't want to, I don't want to harm her. And so after, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And Joseph said, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. I would say, what would he be afraid for? He'd be afraid because he loved her and cared about her that her life would be ruined. He'd be afraid that what would people say about me? He was afraid of all that stuff that we talked about. But before we really look at what Joseph did, let's look at what Joseph did not do. The angel appeared to him in a dream, and the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And he didn't explain the way the dream said, man, I had some bad fish last night. Gave me some, it must be too much mercury and gave me a little bit more like some of those weird dreams. Something was weird in that, in that fish. No, he didn't do that. He didn't go ahead and say, you know, um, I'm arguing with God. God, you've got to be kidding me. Wait, wait a minute. You're asking me to put my name on the line for her and trust some dream? I don't think so. I'm not dealing with that. He didn't negotiate with God. Okay, God, let's do this. You know I'm in the line of, the, of David, and you did some good stuff for David and for Solomon, and there were some others after that, and then the other ancestors really went off the deep end. But now would be a good time as ever to make me the king. It's good to be the king, right? They might be that way. And no, he didn't do that. He didn't negotiate with God. You know, God, um, give me another sign. This time, I want 10 angels with scrolling messages on their foreheads and their chests that say, this is from God. He didn't do that. He didn't fight back. He didn't ask for details. He didn't say, if I'm going to do this and say yes, then what's going to happen? So that's not what he did, but what did Joseph do? When the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, in verse 24, look what he says. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. And it wasn't like he just said, okay, quietly take Mary. He took Mary as his wife and others knew that she was pregnant. That's one of the reasons why they sent her away to Elizabeth, her cousin. But he would have had to have legally adopted Jesus because everybody knew this was not, not his kid. It wasn't his, but then they associated with it. He put himself out there from waking up from a dream. Now, I've had some weird dreams in my life. Anybody had some weird dreams? How many of you wake up and say, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I am going to jump out the window and fly. <laughs> if God, God told me I could fly. I mean, how many of us are going to do that? I mean, how many have ever said, woke up from a dream and said, that's exactly what I'm going to do? Some of you are like, what in the world am I, what am I thinking? Is that really what I think in my dream? You know, we, we have this. But Joseph was a righteous man, and he knew it was from God. He knew it was from God. And, and there's one, if there's one statement that we want people to say about us in our lives, it's that we did what God commanded us to do. That we did what God commanded us to do. You know what that's meaning? That if somebody says to you, wouldn't you love somebody to say, you know what? Out of everything in life, we don't know a lot about Joseph. But wouldn't it be great if we, like Joseph, that somebody said about us, I just know that they were obedient to God. They were fully obedient to God. Without understanding any of the details. you got to have a lot of questions. I don't know about you. Do you have a lot of questions? Mary says, hey, yeah, by the Holy Spirit. And you're like, Explain this to me. She said, I don't know. He's like, ah, 
right? He didn't even ask any of that. And Joseph proves this amazing thought to us. And this thought is this. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. You don't have to stand, understand completely to obey immediately. You don't need every single detail, but we want it. You don't need every single thing ironed out, but we want it. You don't need to know everything and how it's going to go because in the end, because God is there from the beginning. So we don't need to know how it's going to end up because we know that God's there in the beginning. He's going to ride it through with us. So think about what he didn't know. He didn't have hardly any information at all. He didn't know that at nine months of being pregnant, there was going to be this decree from the Roman governor and the, uh, the Roman, um, excuse me, uh, Caesar that said, everybody has to go back to their hometown with their families. So he said, okay. He walks into a very, very pregnant Mary and says, guess what? She's like, what? And he says, we're going on a trip. She says, excuse me? Yeah, it's a little trip. It's only about 100 miles. It's 94 miles. No problem. I got a good donkey for you. How you feeling about that? Those of you who've been pregnant in nine months, anybody excited about that trip? And the men excited about taking that trip with them, right? No. And so, so, but that's what happens. They go ahead. They have to go. And there weren't too many winding roads from what we know. But there was a lot of up and down uh, travel. Now, most people, most scholars say that back then in those days that they would travel roughly about 20, 20 miles. But that was if you weren't pregnant. All right, I'm sure they had to stop and go to the bathroom several times. You know what I mean? Um, and that's just a normal trip. But anyway, I found an LA, a neat LA Times article from uh, December 23rd, 1995. And there's a, uh, there's a biblical uh, professor of archaeology and um, New Testament from University of South Florida in Tampa. And he leads a trip to uh, all the time at this time he led an excavation team to Sephoris, which I've actually been to, which is near um, Nazareth. And he tells us a lot about the trip that Mary and Joseph would have taken. And I wanted to share that with you. Because, and keep in mind, how, how pregnant is she? Very, right? So um, he said that you would go south along the flatlands of the Jordan River, not too bad, but then you had to turn west around the hills surrounding Jerusalem and go to Bethlehem. That is a very, 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 uh, like you make one fall, you're off the, off the cliff. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a major, um, like sometimes there's not enough for one car. And I've seen, I've been in buses where cars have to back down. And bus, I've seen, I've been part of a bus that backed down. Um, we were talking the other day and when Joe and we went on there uh, on a trip several years ago the bus driver actually had the back of the bus where Joe was sitting over the edge, right, Joe? And the wheels were on, thank God for Joe, right? Joe was open. We were all kind of leaning forward, you know what I mean? Um, and it was hanging, hanging off that road. That was where they had to go. But that wasn't the biggest problem. Uh, the, James Strain, this professor, says, it was a fairly grueling trip. In antiquity, most people we find traveling up to about 20 miles a day, and the trip was pretty much uphill, downhill, uphill, downhill, uphill, downhill, and it wasn't very simple. He estimated that Joseph and Mary likely traveled about 10 miles a day because she was what? There, there you go. And the trip through the Judean desert would have taken place during the winter. And he said, it's in the winter during those, those times, 
in the, in the day, it's about 30-some degrees. And it rains like heck. It's nasty. It's miserable. And at night, it would be freezing. Anybody taking that trip? Anybody excited about that? Anybody pregnant excited about that trip? Anybody's been pregnant like, I'm going home, Joe, right? You know, um, but Mary and Joseph would likely have, have worn heavy woolen cl um, cloaks under their other cloaks. And it was constructed, it was like an a, a ancient Israeli Gore-Tex. It was constructed to um, keep the rain and the snow out. And ancients wore robes, belted at the waist, and had like tube-like socks. And they enclosed their shoes to protect their feet. All right? And the dangers of the heavily wooded Jordan, that it was nice, and Jordan River Valley was nice and flat, but it was very wooded in that area because of water. But the problem was, guess who else is there? Lions. Lions are there. Bears are there. Uh, no tigers, oh my. Um, but travelers had to fend off wild boars. Um, archaeologists have found ancient documents warning travelers of bears, lions, and especially wild boars. Bandits and robbers, they had to join these massive caravans to be safe. Um, Mary and Joseph had to bring their own provisions, and they, they found what they would bring, carrying wa water and wineskin, carried a lot of bread. Guess what breakfast was? Dry bread and water. Guess what lunch was? Water and oil with bread. And man, you are going to get something good for dinner. You're going to have water and herbs with bread and oil. That sounds good, right? That was every day for this trip. Now, I'm sure Mary was probably absolutely thrilled for this trip. She was probably grumpy a little bit, and she deserved to be, all right? Um, and then you get to Bethlehem. And you get to Bethlehem, and Joseph forgot to pull out the app and register in Hotels.com. So there's no room in the inn. So, but guess what? We've got a cave barn for you, and they have... And she goes into labor and has her baby in a cave barn. This has sounded like a great trip all the time. Anybody ever had a special trip like this before in your life? Um, then when Jesus is, uh, was a little older, King Herod issues a decree to kill all boys two years of age and younger just to make sure he gets them. And so guess what happened? Joseph has another dream. And then, you know, guess what, Mary? Grab the toddler because guess what? We're going to Egypt. And she says, why are we going there? Just a dream. Okay, whatever the Lord says, we'll go. They go into Egypt and they wait. But they're safe. But can you imagine the weight on his mind? Remember, Joseph's immediately after the prayer, what did he do? After the dream, he served God and said, let's go. And he had no idea this was going to happen. So he goes to Egypt. And you think when he's in Egypt and he hears about all those young boys being killed because they're looking for this child? That didn't weigh on him at all. That didn't weigh on his mind and his heart where he might have known somebody in Bethlehem, maybe a cousin who said, Joseph, you wouldn't imagine it. Herod's men came in and just took my boy and slaughtered him. He was one years old. Can you imagine what that did to his heart at that moment? Joseph had no idea the weight of what it would mean to raise the son of God without any details at all. Yet Joseph obeyed immediately. How does this apply to you and me? Because at some point, God is going to speak to you through his word, or God is going to prompt you by his Holy Spirit, and he's going to lead you to do something without knowing the details. That God has been, maybe God has been stirring you to use your gifts 
and serve. And if you, he says, and it's, if it's not going to happen, you don't know any details about it. You're not even sure that you have that gift. But if you don't, <coughs> then it's not going to be done. But you say, to, you want to say to God, God, I'm just too busy. Or God may prod you or may lead you to give something to bless somebody or some group. And you think, but God, it's really, really, really tight now. You know, gas has been expensive. And don't get me started on groceries and the interest rate. Have you checked the interest rate yet, God? It's way up. And my investments and bank account is down, but the interest rate for, for loans is really high. Or somebody betrays you and God's word pierces your heart to forgive others as you have been forgiven. And you have a choice to make. It may be difficult. And if you don't know any of the details, it's even harder to be obedient. And what I would encourage you to remember is simply this. Obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's. A lot of us want to have an outcome. And how many of you have ever in life done something and you really feel like God wanted you to go to that person and really to talk to them? And you talk to them and they tell you to stick things in places you didn't know you have. And you say, really, God? Right? Or you go to them and you say, hey, I really want to help you. And they say, get out of my... And really nasty. Anybody ever had these situations? And you go, what was that about God? And he says, ah, oh, no. I just want you to be obedient. I'll take care of the results. Just be obedient. Just be obedient constantly to me. We do what he leads us to do and trust him with the results. In my opinion, this is one of the biggest problems in our part of the world with what many call cultural Christianity. There are so many Christians that are way educated beyond their level of obedience. They have a tremendous head knowledge, but not the life application that goes with it. Many identify themselves as Christians will say, Feed me, feed me, give me more, give me more, feed me, feed me, feed me, like we're at a spiritual smorgasbord, and I've had that anymore, more, feed me. Then we become these spiritual knowledge gluttons, and we just want more and more and more. And I'd say that a lot of us don't need to know more. We just need to do more with what we already know. And that is responding to being obedient to what God has called us to. What he's already said, to start with the obedience in his word and in the scripture. To know his word and to apply his word without knowing the details. Joseph had none of the details, yet he did what the angel of the Lord said. When he said, for the child, she said, the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son and you <coughs> are to give him the name Jesus. You're supposed to give him the name Jesus. Now we know one of his other boys was named what? Joseph, that was one, he named one after one of his other boys. And that's what a lot of people like to do. You know, name him name after, anybody in here named after your dad? All right, anybody named after your mom or anything like that? You, you have this kind of thing. So that's what you do. You're like, that's my boy and like this. And, but the angel says, you are to give him the name Jesus. And let me tell you what that would have been in the Old Testament. The name would have been Joshua, Yeshua is what it would have been. And you know what that name means? It means save us. That he saves us. So he said, listen to what the angel says. You're in the name of Jesus. Why? Because the purpose he's coming is to save his people from their sins. The entire purpose that he's coming. And this is why it's important. That's why God is sending him. God is sending him and saying, that child is the one that you've been praying for. 
That child is the one that everybody's been looking for. That child is the one, is the son of God. That is the Messiah. It was a miraculous birth. But why does it matter? Because if this child that had been conceived had been conceived by an earthly father, in other words, Joseph, then he would have had that sinful nature that passed on from person to person to person from the time of Adam and Eve. Because the scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the seed of Adam just was tainted all this way, and it's just sin after 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 sin, and it continues. But yet, his daddy is not Joseph. He is God, who is sinless. And so he has that nature which is in him. And so when he was born, he didn't have, wasn't born with the nature of sinful man. He was born with the glory of God, that his nature, he left in his, his glorious nature of home to become the creation in order that he could set us free from our sins, that he could live a sinless life and could be perfect, not for himself, he already was that, but for you and me and all of us who fall short of the glory of God. So if, what do you have that's bounding you up? What is it that is that weighty thing that you're carrying? What is it that you're battling with? Are you battling with jealousy? He can forgive your jealousy and he can set you free. Have you been lying, cheating, and stealing? Guess what? His grace covers all your sins. There is no sin falling too short for God's grace. He was born of a virgin Mary without sin so he could take all the mess that we have. All the sin, as the scripture says, he took all of our sins. Everybody say all. That means everything before, that means everything after. And he nailed him to the cross, scorning his shame. He became the sacrifice for our sin. What do I deserve? I deserve to be nailed to a cross and die. So do you. But I don't have to because he was born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. And he rose, he, he, he grew, and he taught, and he stayed true to his heavenly Father. And he was sinless, and he became the spotless Lamb of God and took my sin away and your sin away if I just reach out and claim him. Because why? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. The greatest name that has ever been said or ever will be said. And when he died, he was buried. And three days later, what did he do? He popped out of the tomb and is alive forevermore. And he bears the scars. That's one thing that we, not, we should never forget. Every time you see Jesus from now on, he bears the scars. You know why? Because you and I still need healing. You and I still need to be forgiven for our sins. We still need to be redeemed. And he's like, for all eternity, look, I got him here. So every time God says, I need to smoke Jack, he says, I pay for it, daddy. And he says, gotcha. And I say, thank you, Jesus. Right? You should be a heck of a lot more excited about that. Because that's the only way. That's the only way we make it through him. All because Joseph said, all right. And he didn't shun Mary, but he took her in and he raised him and loved him. Why? Because his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So when we look, there's a point to know that any time and almost every time that God prods you, he gives you a word, he gives you a direction, he speaks to you through his scripture, he speaks to you through his Holy Spirit. Almost every time you obey, you're going to be met with some kind of spiritual opposition. Some kind of spiritual opposition is going to hit you every time you obey. In fact, in my life, you look at the most significant, when I think about the most significant obedient times to God, I have been met with some of the most um, ridiculous spiritual oppression from 
but it always comes in the form of physical people. You know what I mean? Spiritual oppression often comes in forms of physical things. But so in my life, let's let's look at some of these. Having kids. We had one. Everybody's, oh, you have two. Everybody's, oh, you have three. Yeah. You have four. People go, huh? <laughs> then you have five, and I go, huh? <laughs> right? And people say, what is wrong with you? Do you know how much kids cost? Yes, I do. Um, you will never be able to raise that many kids. Okay, they'll raise me. All right? Wait, wait till they're teenagers. Okay, I'll give you that one, all right? Um, they're not totally wrong. But we just happen to be dumb enough to believe that children are a blessing from the Lord. Okay? Um, even when they're not a blessing to your life at times, right? They're always a blessing from the Lord, and I love them dearly. And you would not believe how much opposition and all the things we've heard. Look at them. Weren't they cute then? And Judah's little legs weren't even touching, buddy. All right. But yeah, you know, I mean, and, and you, you, you wouldn't believe the opposition of the comments and the things that people would say. But see, they didn't see the blessing that we have now. And that's this right here. Hey, click that. There she is. Them five kids and all them teen years are worth that one. That's my girl right there. Look at that. You think she's got me wrapped around her finger? Oh, see, literally, she got my finger up top there. Yeah, she got me up there. And I, you know what? And, and I, I used to think, how can you love something more than your kids? Oh, you do. Don't you? Grandparents, don't you? They can do anything. And you're like, ooh, I love that. Why do I love this kid? I don't know. Maybe because she likes me all the time, you know. And it's awesome. But that's, that's a blessing. That's an amazing blessing. And you know what? And Miguel didn't listen to us and wait like we said she should have. I'm so glad she didn't. Because I like her better than anybody in the world. <laughs> and you know what? She likes me better than anybody in the world except for her mom. Right? I'll give her that for a while. A couple years, it'll be me. All right? Um, but but that's, that's one of the things. And then God, uh, then Melissa felt led by God to homeschool the kids. And we agreed that they would choose when they went to high school. Of course, I was the one who said, if God forbid anything happens to your mom, you'll enjoy your first day of school. Um, but the, Cohen, the joke, the Cohen Academy homeschool began with our kids. And here's a picture of Jacob. He was not too happy at this point, all right? Um, I think he was deep in prayer. We'll say that, all right? But he was not a happy camper at that point. And then we got weird questions like, do your kids make butter? You ever had like people think that homeschool people make butter? They never made butter in their life. They certainly ate a lot of butter, but um, um, this, is, this is dumb. I, I wanted to say, yeah, they make it in the toilet. You want some? All right, so... Um, but um, they'll be so backward, they're not going to have any interaction with people. Anybody ever heard that? Oh, they're just going to be so back. No, they're not. They have too much interaction, all right? Um, opposition for no reason, just because people, ha you know, people have opinions and they think they're important now. All right. But when my, when my life and my calling was laid out before me in the United Methodist Church, that's where I was. That's the church I grew up in. I loved it. I still love the core of Wesleyan theology. Um, and then an uncomfortable stirring happened in my heart. And in my mind that I couldn't get it out of my head and out of my life that I was supposed to start a church. And every person I talked to from superintendents, they wouldn't let me start one in the United Methodist Church. And you're fine where you are. I, and I told you this before, I had somebody who was very big in one church took me out to lunch and told me I was killing my career. Um, I had another superintendent who I was close to that said, what are you gonna do if it fails? I had people who were close to me saying all this kind of stuff. And um, when we started Haven Church, you would not believe the resistance. 
Why another church? We don't need another church. Who do you think you are? A pastor in this area that uh, I saw in the hospital one day came up to me and I said, how you doing? He said, we had a meeting about you. I said, you did? Was it good? Um, so, um, and then he's proceeded to tell me a, a former friend of mine, an associate, um, a superintendent, and even a bishop was there. I got a lot of people together. I'm happy about that, all right? Maybe they got some of Jesus during the time anyway. But uh, when... When we wanted to, we were at Northeast Middle School when we wanted to move out, we actually had someone, people who would say, I liked it better in the middle school. And I always said, that's because you weren't setting up and tearing down, you know. And uh, and the middle school was great to us. But God had something different. And I had somebody, we had somebody who actually just said when we started talking about the building, I've been through a building campaign before. I'm not interested. I'm leaving. Other church-related things. If you preach, I'm not joking. If you preach from the authorized King James Version, I'll, I'll stay. But if not, I'm leaving. Bye. All right. Um, why Haiti? We have enough right here in the United States, like Appalachia. If you go to Haiti, I'm going elsewhere. All right. I have nothing against Appalachia, but God called us to Haiti. Right. If you don't believe it, look at the fruit. I didn't know what I was going to Haiti. I told you I didn't want to go. Emigel made me go. Well, Melissa made me go because Emigel went. I like, I like finer. I like things. I like cable. Right. You know, and I, don't, I like really good air conditioning. Um, and I like having a, a blanket that Jill and Natalie don't steal. Right, Jim? You know, we're sitting there shivering in the middle of the night. With, with, so, I mean, I like those things. Um, COVID. Hey, if you aren't open without mask, I won't be back until you obviously trust God more. If you don't wear a mask and a hazmat suit to church every time, I'm leaving. You couldn't win. In the community, I heard... If that I said this and I did that, I would, I would have a very interesting life if I said half of what people think I said and did. And I've heard this before. His father would be so disappointed that he doesn't preach the gospel. <laughs> Let me tell you, I know my dad. My dad was very proud of me because I learned from the best pastor, my father. He's definitely not his father. No, I'm not. And you call yourself a pastor. And now I kind of a good response to that one. You want to hear it? Do you really want to hear it? I don't know whether it's pastoral. But my response is going to be this from now on. You call yourself a pastor. I'm going to say, no, I call myself Jack, a sinner saved by the grace of God. God called me to be a pastor. If you don't like it, talk to him. But by your attitude and tone, it's probably been a while since you have. I told you it wasn't very pastoral, but it was good, wasn't it? All right? And, and this is what's going to happen when God speaks to you to obey. And you step out and you step away. When you say, God led me to do, get ready for people to challenge you. Get ready for people to make fun of you. Get ready for them to attack you. Get ready for them to reject you. All that happened to Joseph and Mary. Maybe you're just supposed to get stupid generous and tithe and offering and specials and serve in so many areas. And you're, you're just doing so much and people look, oh, you're doing all that? Are you stupid? You say, I am a fool for Christ. Yes, I am. Don't worry about when you face opposition if you're obedient to God. Worry when you don't. Because when you step up for God, there's always going to be opposition. Obedience will be and is hard. And it may cost you in the early season, but you have no idea what our God can do with one moment of obedience. Just ask Joseph when you get to heaven. And the angel said this, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And Joseph did as the angel commanded. One moment. 
Life isn't measured by time. It's measured by moments. You have no idea what God might do through one moment of obedience. I look back and I think, I wonder if the story had been different in my life in many different areas. If I hadn't stopped and talked to that person, if God hadn't got my heart, and I, I, remember, I still remember seeing, and I've shared it before, somebody who was filling up with gas across the highway, and, and she just caught my, my attention, and, and it just moved something in me, and I was sitting there, I was filling up with gas, and then I heard, excuse me, and she was right there. And then God told me to give her money. And let me tell you, that is an act of God when God's telling me to give my personal money. And when I went in, because I was going out with my friends, and I went up and I went into the ATM, which was charging your money to use, which I never go to. Um, I try not to go to. And I went in there, and I pulled out like, um, I pulled out like $50 or something like that. And I was going to give her, well, I, so, somehow I had a, some fives. And I said, I was going to give her the five. And the Lord said, give her the 20. And I said, excuse me, Jesus. I'm checking to see if this is from you, as she was pulling it. No, um, but I went ahead and gave it to me, and then guess what? When I, like a couple weeks later, I reached in my pants, and there was a 20 there. I believe I didn't just leave it in there. I believe God takes care of those who are obedient. And so here's what's going to happen. You're going to read his word. You're going to worship in a song. You're going to hear an anointed message here at Haven Community Church or wherever else you are, and God is going to prompt you He's going to prompt you in his word and by his spirit to say something, to give something, to do something, to confess something. Maybe it's an addiction that you have and you need help. To apologize for something that you did wrong. To forgive someone the same way that Christ has forgiven you. To be praying for someone or to be a witness to someone or to send some, a message to someone or to invite somebody to church. But not to only invite them say, hey, I'm going to pick you up when you're coming. Uh, let's go. I'll pick you up at 930. We'll get here. And by the and the main thing is he wants you to live the life that he's called you to through obedience. And you have a choice in those moments when God nudges you. A big reminder here is this. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. And when it comes down to it, life is not always measured by years and time, but it's often measured by what? Moments. And here's the greatest thing. You have no idea what God might do with one act of obedience. Ask Joseph what he did. He changed the world. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand and let's, let's worship the Lord in song one more time here today. being um, in one of some very popular sayings in in church environments and in several groups like the Emmaus community and others is let go and let God. That's a nice little thing, but it's so hard, right? It's hard to let go. You know why? Because we've had a clenched fist on it for so long. Some of us are carrying baggage around with us, and you know what baggage does? Baggage becomes more baggage. Like, have you ever, like, it's one of the things I remember when, when mom passed away and we had to clean out my grandmother's house and we didn't clean it all out. And then we had the wonderful task of, after dad passed away, cleaning their house out. And I don't know how she did it, but she was the most organized pack rat in life. 
Um, and it was amazing. And you start to say, man, I got a lot of junk. I should clean that out. And you know how much stuff I got that just I've never looked at in years? I was probably in my 20s, and that was a year or two ago, by the last time I looked at those things. And that's what happens in our life. A lot of times, something that happened to us when we were younger, we carry it around. We don't deal with it. We don't give it to God. We don't let go of it. So God can't do anything with it. Today, just be obedient to God by letting go. Let go of something. Something that's got you just, just stuck. Something that when he, he calls to ask you or tell you, hey, I want you to do this, you say, I don't know it all. I don't know what's going to happen after. Have a good Joseph moment. And wouldn't you love somebody to say to you, I don't know much about him or her, but I knew that they were obedient immediately to God. And they didn't know what was going to happen, but they were obedient. And look at what happened. So pray with me, if you will. Father, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit. This is a season, yes, of Advent, where we, we talk about the, the, the coming of Christ into the world. And, and yet, Lord, we, we hope and pray that he's coming back today or tomorrow or even sooner than that, right now. Don't let me get the rest of this prayer out. Just whisk us away. God, let us not forget that you didn't just eeny, meeny, miny, mo pick Joseph and Mary. You picked a righteous man who had a heart for you. Wasn't caught in the stuff of religion, but and he, even, even when his heart was broken in the lowest point, he still didn't want to disgrace her. Oh, God, that may someone say that I'm a righteous man that I have a love for you that is so great. You may not know anything about me, but you know that I love the Lord. And I'm good to people. Lord, this world needs the spirit of Joseph around. So God, I just pray that we, that I, I feel you right now just tugging on our hearts. That some of us have been in here for a while, and as we sort through some of the baggage, that you're saying to them, hey, here's what I want you to do. Here's where I want you to serve. Here's what I'm calling you to do. And we've, we've tried to figure out everything else. Some of us may, you may have called us out of a job, and we're saying, there ain't no way. You know how much I make? And he says, I don't care. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And I called you to this. What is it God is telling you right now? that you have kind of segmented and come up with all kinds of other reasons when all he wants you to do is to wake up and do exactly what the angel tells you, the angel of the Lord tells you. So, God, today we just ask that that spirit of obedience, that we'll just, we'll just feel that and we'll just follow you and that your Holy Spirit will be on the gifts and ties that we're, 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 the people are giving here today. Thank you, God, for, for your ministry here and literally around the world. God, when I was on a mower, cutting my grass, serving at another church two hours away and trying to figure out life, I heard the name Haven. I didn't, I didn't know what it fully meant. And I had a logo that you gave to me, and then I made some connections. But God, you have surpassed anything that I could ever see. Because, God, you are faithful. So during this time, we worship you. And there's people in the front to pray with you people in the back that'll be there. And most, most importantly, hear the word of the Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Here I am down on my knees again surrendering all surrendering all find me Lord as you draw me desperate for you desperate for you I surrender drench my soul as mercy and grace unfold a hunger and thirst a hunger and thirst with arms stretched wide i know you hear my cry speak to me now speak to me now tell him i surrender i surrender i want to know you more i want to know you more i surrender i surrender to know you more I want to know you
everybody. So our Sunday school, both our elementary and our pre-K were super busy today. They made Advent wreaths. All Each of them get to take their own ad, Advent wreath home today. They learned all about the Sundays in Advent, what they mean, which candle they're supposed to light when. Um, and the Sunday school, without any prompting from any of the teachers, wanted to present one to Pastor Jack so that he could have his own Advent wreath. All right, thanks everybody. Happy Advent. Have a great week. <laughs>